Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been interviewing fascinating and talented people from all walks of life for the past 20 years as an unscripted television producer and before that as a small town sports reporter. Each episode, I talk to extraordinary individuals working in nonfiction television, documentaries, true crime, and much more. If you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Bleed.com and at Bleed Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is an amazing independent documentary filmmaker and investigative journalist with more than 15 years of directing and producing experience. She has directed eight television documentaries and more than 50 investigative reports. National Bird, her first feature-length film, premiered at the Berlin Film Festival in 2016 and was also selected for Tribeca, Sheffield, and IDFA. Her recent projects include the feature documentaries Enemies of the State, United States versus Reality Winner, and the previously mentioned National Bird. Please welcome Sonia Kennebec. Thank you for being here, Sonia. Thanks so much for having me, Stephen. So I'm psyched to talk to you about Enemies of the State. We'll start off with that. It is a wild, wild story. I'll just kind of set up the film and then you can kind of dig in and tell me a little bit more about it. So it's a story about the DeHart family, an American family that becomes entangled in a bizarre web of secrets and lies. Their son, Matthew, is a hacker right? He's targeted by the U.S. government, but it gets way, way crazier than that, right? He's charged with a pretty horrible crime and you get anonymous involved there. It, it, it's wild and it's a total, you do a great job with twists and turns, which is the, the you know, that's the key with any great documentary. Uh, you, you do an amazing job with espionage and mystery it go, goes over the course of many years and uh, you really leave it up to the audience to decide, is he guilty? Is he, you know, is, is he holding secrets that the CIA, you know, did something horrible? And I don't want to give too much away, but it's a really exciting thriller that's a documentary. Um, so tell everybody a little bit about Enemies of the State, how you came to do this documentary. I like your summary a lot because it, it, it just reminds me of what we went through as a film team during the investigation because um, you, you talk about all these twists and turns and what you see in the film is what we experienced during our investigation. So the things that you experience as an audience when you're going through the story and you know, experience how you see changing perspectives is what we went through as, as a film team as well. So this was an investigation where we did not know the outcome when we began our work on the film. The film itself, the narrative follows our own journey of investigation, our journey of research. That's why we put so many dates on the film, because we really want to disclose to the audience when we got access to certain information, which really um, gives you a new perspective on the story. 
And that's fascinating to me that you were really following along, kind of deciding what the story was as you went. Is that scary as a filmmaker to not know where you're headed and to really be kind of making decisions in real time? Yes, it is. It is scary, but it's also at the same time what is, you know, so I think important when you when you make documentary films that you, especially investigative films, that you go in with an open mind and that you you research in all directions and you don't go into a story and into a documentary film with a preconceived notion of what this film is supposed to be. As a filmmaker, as a journalist, the yeah, kind of the, the important takeaway of this journey of investigation, the story that it is very, very important that you go in open-minded, that you speak to all the people in, involved in a story, and that you are also able to yeah, kind of adapt and shift what the story and what the film was supposed to be about. So I, I really think, you know, Enemies of the State is such a good, you know, documentary and film to also discuss the journey of filmmakers and filmmaking crews when they when they embark on an investigative story and really reflect on, you know, what what our own beliefs are and what our own expectations are, what we want to believe and what the reality is um, in, in some stories. And that there, you know, there, there can be, you know, contradictions and ambiguities in documentary film as well. I like that word ambiguities, right? There's a lot of nuance or a lot of feelings that come up throughout Enemies of the State, specifically about Matthew DeHart and his parents, who are kind of the, the main characters here, you go from, oh, he's a hacktivist, right? He's doing something good. And he's, you know, you, there's a lot of journalism that's written about him as a hero, but then he's charged with child pornography. And, and as a viewer, you're like, oh my God, you know, you're appalled. As the filmmaker, how do you maintain that, you know, that, that, oh, we're just telling the story, you know, you're, you're trying to be objective. How do you maintain that objectivity? It's, it's really important for me when I first sit down with lead characters, people I want to make a film about, that I explain what my background is and where I'm coming from, that I, I have a background in journalism. And I also consider myself a journalist. And when I first met the DeHart parents and we had our first conversation about their story in this film, I said to them that it is very complex. I knew from the very beginning that it would be a research rabbit hole. Um, I probably didn't know how deep it would go and, and the complexity of the entire story. I, I definitely didn't know that, but I knew that there was a lot to investigate, a lot to research, and that it was a complex story. And I told them, if I am going to do a film about it, they have to be okay with me researching in all directions, that I'm doing my independent investigation, and that I will talk to all the people who would want to talk to me and really, you know, trying to get a well-rounded 
picture of the story. And they said, okay, they agreed to it. And that was very, very important down the road when I just, you know, found out more and more. And we uncovered my producing partner, Ines Hofmann-Kenna and I, we, we did our research together and we uncovered the different perspectives of the, the Met the Heart story. And it became clear that, you know, we, we would have to give them space in the film as well and and really show the contradictions and and we did and their family was was okay with that it's really interesting in the film you have the local law enforcement right who are charging matt with these horrific child pornography crimes you also have his parents who are claiming he's innocent and they're helping him flee to canada there's this huge discrepancy in what the story is for me, there was only sort of one way to tell the story, which is to have the film follow our own journey of investigation and the way we uncovered certain information. Because you, you see in the film how much access we got um, to the DeHart family. And then along the way, we uncovered contradicting perspectives and it was really sort of unfolding you know along the way we yeah it's like an onion you know kind of getting to the next layer and and we wanted the audience to have the same experience that we had and kind of to go back to to the beginning of how we found the story you know a lot of it is you know it, it explains you know, sort of the the opening of the film and how we get into the DeHart story and then start unfolding it is that I heard about the Matt DeHart case when I was still in production of my previous film, National Bird, which is about the U.S. drone war told from the perspectives of military veteran, whistleblowers and survivors in Afghanistan. So I I had done a story already about you know, national security and surveillance and secrecy. So that was what I what I knew of the story. And when the DeHarts were explaining to me or told me their perspective of their story, it it sounded, you know, it it resonated with me. It um I'd had some of the experience they described about surveillance and the national security state myself. So so that was really, really the starting point. But then when we started, you know, to to go into different directions and talk to the investigators and the prosecutors, there was a whole new perspective to the story which is so important to the full understanding of what was going on here, that possibly there were, you know, two parallel investigations going on at the same time. Was there a point throughout the making of this film where you found any of them unbelievable, that you struggled to believe their stories, whether it was law enforcement or whether it was the DeHarts? So much about this story is unbelievable. I, I really have to say that. I think that's the reason, too, that I never um, forgot about it. I, I've actually known about the Matt DeHart story for many years, and it just stuck in my head. Because, you know, as, as you summarized at the beginning of this podcast, it has so many elements of 
you know, like national security state and anonymous. And, and, you know, we heard that Mette Hart was a WikiLeaks courier and he was interrogated and tortured by the FBI. Then there's also this child pornography case. It, yeah, it just had so many strange elements that really just piqued my interest, my curiosity. And, and I really couldn't let go of it once I, I, I heard about that story. And I, I really am, you know, an investigator at heart. And I, I you know, I, I read and I research all the time. So, so this was, in a way, you know, the perfect story for me to dig, dig deeper into. Um, I, I really didn't know, though, at the beginning of this investigation, how complicated it would be. It, it probably is the most complex investigation that I have ever done. And, and when you go along in this film and see the layers of it, it really, for me, is also a commentary of the world that we live in right now, where you have so much contradicting information on the internet, information spreads so widely, so quickly over social media. And it's difficult for the audiences and people and, you know, and consumers of news and information to really decipher what is, you know, what is truth? What is propaganda? There's so many agendas now when you um, read information on the internet. So, so this film for me is reflecting on that. And I really want people to have critical thinking when they read and consume information. And that for me is what this film is really about. It's not just about one individual case, but it's about sort of this, yeah, this, this world that we live in right now and where we have to continuously check ourselves and just be critical thinkers when consuming information. When you started to kind of, as you said, peel the onion back on Matt's story and your learning about these charges with the child pornography, are you worried, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be following this guy. Maybe we shouldn't be telling this story, you know, cause look, you're, I know that you're, you're an amazing investigative journalist, but we all kind of want the perfect hero, right? Like we all, that's we all want that guy or that girl. We want that person to root for that's, you know, the Superman or the Wonder Woman at the end of the rainbow, was there a part of you that, that kind of was cringing? Well, I mean, you know, when, when you are in documentary and you do investigate these type of stories, I think you learn quickly that our lives and our world, um, you know, are, are not Hollywood. And this film is really also about, you know, human behavior and reality which does not follow a Hollywood narrative. And, and that's why for, for me personally, that this story in this film is so important because it, it does show the complexities of human behavior, the world that we live in. It's, it's not that simple. It's not black and white. There are a lot of shades of gray. And I, you know, especially with, you know, what we have to grapple with nowadays with, you know, misinformation and disinformation and propaganda and, and, you know, like truth and, and, and lies, you know, and how do we even, you know, separate it? I think a big part of that too is that 
that with all the secrecies that we have nowadays, especially in national security stories, there's also a lot of ambiguity. And we, we are, as human beings, I, I believe that we are quite uncomfortable with not knowing an ambiguity. And so we try to fill you know, the not knowing with speculations or yeah, just guesses of what we, we want the story to be. And, and this film actually, you know, it counters that. There is ambiguity in this. There is not knowing. And some people will feel uncomfortable with it. But I, I really tried to put out everything that I could find and verify. And also sort of, you know, the, the, the questions that we still have. I, I really hope that people, you know, will reflect on the film itself, the questions that they have, the shades of gray in it, maybe rewatch the film because it has a lot of layers as well. Yeah, I want people to think about it. I, I want the film to stay with people. I love a good documentary that has incredible access. You have real recordings and transcripts. You have a lot in there. Um, how did you go about getting this critical access to files, documents, recordings? What was that process like? Yeah, there was a lot of time and time to to research and and really dig deep. So as I had said before, my producing partner, Ines Hofmann-Kenna and I, we were researching together and we started by reading all the court documents and going through them and, and also really looking at what information was missing and what directions we have to go to find out more. And then you have to structure your, your research in the right way because some things like filing your own court motions, which we did with the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, we actually filed our own court motions to unseal documents. Um, all that takes a lot of time, same as Freedom of Information Act requests. So we, we did all of this type of research at the very beginning. And then, you know, we follow it up throughout the years of production. And then we did field research. We were talking to a lot of people. Um, what you see in the film is really sort of the tip of the iceberg. And underneath, there's so much more research and investigation that we did. And what was really important for us, and that's what my editor, Maxine Goedeke, just did such a such a wonderful job with as well is that we really wanted to present as much real evidence in the film documents um, also the audio recordings you know as we could find because when when you have these interview partners who are just contradicting each other where you really as the audience are unsure who to believe you know, the tangible evidence, the, the, the documents become so much more important. So we try to include as much of that as, as, as possible for people to see. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, it really follows sort of the, the narrative from the point in Canada with the audio recordings. A lot of it is, is um, chronological. And then, you know, in the latter part of the film, that's where we, you know, we started getting more information that we uncovered through our court motions, 
through more people that we got access to, which just took years, you know, of, of working on it and building up, up trust. And that's where really a whole nother perspective um, is presented to the audience and also to us as filmmakers. How long did you take to make this film? And when did you know it was ready? That's always a difficult <laughs> question for filmmakers, I think. You know, when when is a film ready? Because, of course, you can always continue researching. And to be honest, I actually do that. I, I continue researching on stories and films even after I, I've completed them um, because they, they just stick with me as well. And I, you know, especially when you're left with open questions and ambiguity, you know, it just you know, it still continues to pique my interest as a filmmaker. So I would say from, you know, the actual production until the release, it was around three years. I have known the story for, for, for more longer than that. So I, you know, I started reading about the story and I heard about it actually from a, a source um, many years back when I was still in production for, for National Bird. But yeah, the actual production time of Enemies of the State was, was around three years. And yeah, I still feel, even though, you know, we have completed it and I think, you know, the film in itself is complete and, you know, the story that I wanted to tell with this film, you know, in all its layers is complete, but I, I, I am still following, following up on it. It's, it's definitely not over for me. Of course not. Yeah, you're, you're in it. That's a long time, three years of your life. Yeah. When a film is, you know, complete and people experience it, you know, in these like one and a half hours, when it's well done, I think you don't see the effort behind it. But yeah, you know, as, as the makers know, documentary films take so much time and effort to make. And especially when, you know, you are, when it's independent, this was a truly independently produced film so we worked with a very small team I actually have you know really built um, a, a trusted team you know I've worked with my director of photography for over 15 years now and you can see you know his work I think you know so beautifully across our body of work um, you know he's filmed all of my independent um, documentaries. My composer Enza Rudolf, who who did such an incredible work on the score, Maxine Goedeke, who's just you know it's, it's such an amazing editor. And this was you know this this is a film where you can see sort of the craft of the editing when you see the lip syncing of the original audio and sort of the staging of it, which which goes into all these, these layers as well that we use to transport the story. You know, for, for me, this film really is not just about one individual story, but it has these layers of what's truth, what is propaganda, people's agendas, you know, looking into how people, you know, tell a story and transport a story. So, so it, it just has so many, many layers of, of truth um, in, in this film, like personal truth, objective truth, um, you know, a memory, belief, what people, you know, strength of belief and how you transport it across film. So I do think this is a filmmaker's film. And I hope that, yeah, people who listen to your podcast will, you know, go, go back in and really, 
you know, just, you know, look at it again with a filmmaker's perspective, because it shows a lot of, you know, what we experienced and struggled with as filmmakers as well in making this, this film. Speaking of filmmakers, this film counts Errol Morris as an executive producer. What was it like working with the great Errol Morris? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Errol Morris's work, and he has been such a wonderful um, supporter and, and mentor to me. He was actually already an executive producer together with Wim Wenders on National Bird. I had approached him because I wanted to make sure to secure the project. That project was a very high-risk project, you know, working with national security whistleblowers. So I reached out to them and and they really liked my work. And then when I researched Matt the Heart story and and realized that it it really this film would be not just about his case, but really about the nature of truth and memory and yeah, testimonies and you know, personal um, agendas. Um, it really reminded me so much of Errol Moore's um, work with um, the Thin Blue Line and, and the way he was going so deep into all these different layers of, you know, of, of filmmaking and trying to find the truth in a story that has so many complexities. And yeah, when that became clear and I saw all these parallels, I reached out to him again and, and asked if he would, you know, support our, our work again. And, and he did. And he really, he, he said to me when he first watched A Cut of Enemies of the State, what he loved about it was that he sees that we didn't go in with sort of a preconceived notion of what this film would be. But he, he really could tell from the film that the investigation was very open and that, yeah, that we really did it, that we went where the research took us. I'm curious about the style. There was recreations. You had to use recreations for this. Tell me a little bit about the way you shot those, what kind of a challenge those presented for you. Did you enjoy that style? What went into the recreations and how do you feel about those? Yeah, I I always um, wanted to use recreations with this film because, you know, a lot of it took place in in the past. So we we are retelling a story that it happened, but it had so many twists and turns and also just such a cinematic storyline. Um, you know, when, when people talk about, you know, Stranger Than, than Fiction, this is the story, I think, where it applies, you know, the, the most. Because when, when you hear it or read it, you know, for the first time, it, at least for me, I thought it's like, oh my gosh, did this really happen? You know, is this true? This is, this is like, this is crazy. Um, it's it's really hard to believe, you know, all the you know these different events, and so I I really wanted to make sure that they would be part of this film. And yeah, the only way for me to to do that was to use these cinematic recreations. But then there's this other layer when you know, we, we got access to the audio of the original audio of Matt DeHart's testimony in Canada and the way he is retelling his own story. 
and and that became you know such a yeah such sort of a, a red line in the film it's its own you know storyline because we we wanted him to retell his own story but then there is also this element of where you are wondering about certain events that he you know he's he's retelling from his perspective you know how much of it is yeah sort of his you know his his own memory that was influenced by all the events and the things that had happened to him and his interpretation of events so so there is you know this you know this 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 layer of of him being able to retell his entire story without really being questioned and and then we have you know the different perspectives of the prosecutor and the investigator who who contradict some of his testimony money or put it in a different type of context and perspective and and that to me yeah having these layers that you see in the recreations and the staging of it and um that to me tells its own type of story that really sort of blurs the line between reality and memory and fiction um in a way that i could really only tell through this form when i ask you about the united states versus reality winner another one of your fantastic films of course this follows whistleblower reality winner who leaked a top secret document about russian interference in the 2016 election to the media and you know you obviously you have a, a passion to support whistleblowers and to tell their stories how did you gain access to this story what made you passionate enough and you know to tell this story what made you gutsy enough really to tell this story at a time you know during the the trump administration when definitely <laughs> this was not an easy uh story to tackle no this was not an easy story to tackle at all Be- because there in national security stories there's just so much secrecy surrounding it so it makes it really really challenging to make films about these type of stories because you know a lot of the information is secret it's so hard and so lengthy to get access to information and this in in the case of united states versus reality winner it took us 2 years to get access to the original audio recording of the FBI interrogation of reality winner which is such a crucial document and also an interesting you know document and this audio in in the film um but it took us 2 years in a lawsuit that we had to file against the FBI a freedom of information act lawsuit to get access to that audio we did that with a reporters committee for freedom of the press they gave us pro bono support and then we succeeded but yeah you know the, the time that we invested to you know file freedom of information act request appeal them you know file these court motions you know study all these court documents that is it's 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 really extremely difficult and and time consuming and and of course you know there's always a risk um when you do national security whistleblower stories which i think is the reason why they are so underreported i mean you know national security whistleblowers and they 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 have disclosed 
some of the most important information of our generation um, about government torture, drone strikes, you know, mass surveillance and, you know, foreign Russian election interference. So all this information was made public through national security whistleblowers. And they have sacrificed so much, but their stories in you know, my opinion, are not receiving the coverage that they should receive. And, and that really has been my motivation. Um, I, I've been you know, disturbed by how underreported these stories are. And when I first flew out to, to Georgia to witness, you know, first without you know, a camera crew, when I, when I just wanted to witness and attend one of the pretrial hearings um, in Reality Winner's case, I was disturbed by how, you know, few journalists, you know, were, were there in our little media coverage. I, I expected that there would be camera crews waiting outside, and that was not the case. Uh, so I, I called my producing partner, Ines, and I said, you know, this is, you know, there's, you know, there are not a lot of people here. And, um, and I really think that we should be, witnessing paying witness to to the story and and i had a really good um connection to reality winner's mother billy winner davis and um i thought she was such a fascinating you know character and and um, you know interesting person advocate for her daughter and so yeah enos and i decided to take on a second documentary project you know parallel to the production of of enemies of the state because we felt so passionate about, you know, really witnessing and documenting Reality Winner's story. Why do you think Reality Winner has had such a lack of coverage, such a lack of focus from the media when she was just a 25-year-old NSA contractor who did something really incredible in terms of revealing, you know, disclosing a document about Russian election interference, like in the 2016 election, and then was given the longest sentence ever imposed for unauthorized release of government information to the media. So her story really is huge. And to your point, really has not gotten that much attention. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's 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 really... It... It, un, unbelievable. You know, her, her story is so important. I mean, the security of our elections, the fact that she was disclosing information that then led to making our elections more secure, you know, just shows how important it was you know I, I'm, I'm showing in the film how election officials were were testifying that for some of them her disclosure was the first time they heard about you know threats to our election infrastructure so yeah why wasn't this more you know widely reported I've, I've been wondering about that, you know, for, for, for years now. And, you know, a lot of it is, is speculation. I think, you know, part of the reason is that the, that her pretrial hearings were taking place in Augusta, Georgia. So they were not taking place in, you know, Washington, D.C. or the Washington, D.C. area where it's just easier 
to get to the courts and um, you know where you have more national journalists um, where the investment is not so high you know to go out there and and film and cover the story I mean that's, that was difficult for us as well you know as an independent filmmaking team that we always had to you know travel far we needed flights and hotels the location was you know made it more expensive expensive for our you know independent production and then also I think you know investigative journalism is you know it's it's always such an investment and for publications it's an expensive investment and you know you don't know the outcome of these cases you have to you know send someone there you have to follow up you know repeatedly on these type of stories, then it's so difficult to get access. You know, you can't bring cameras into the courtroom. It's difficult to get access to, to the information, to interview partners. So yeah, these, these research intensive stories are very expensive to produce. And, and then also they, they really, they silenced reality winner. That's the other thing, you know, she was never let out on, on bail. And, and I, when I started the story, I expected I would be interviewing her while, you know, her case was going on. And then they never let her out. I had to deal with an absent lead character. But does that mean that I should not cover the story because it's more complicated? I didn't think so. And it just challenged me more to figure out a way to tell her very, very important story and witness and documented because she was treated so harshly. Whistleblowers with the national security angle aren't perfect characters to the national press, meaning some people in national security will say they're a traitor. They gave up government secrets, right? They're not perfect characters in some people's minds, whereas somebody like myself may say, well, they're heroes because they saw Russian interference happening and they disclosed that despite the fact that others didn't want to hear that. Do you feel like that may be a reason why some people just don't want to cover that story because it's not neat and easy and folds up into an and you know is tied up in a nice bow? I think you you are right that you know that there's of course um, the criticism that whistleblowers are breaking the law. However, when we watch, you know, Hollywood films and, you know, look at sort of the disclosures of previous generations, you know, Daniel Ellsberg was disclosing information about, you know, the lies of the Vietnam War and investigative journalists um, are celebrated in, in movies and in books. And, you know, people, people like these type of stories and they celebrate investigative journalism and, and the journalists, you know, I think most people in this country are for a free press. And I, I became a journalist because I so strongly believe in the role of journalism as journalists having the function of holding government accountable, you know, is an important function in a democracy. But investigative journalists, you know, we cannot disclose government misconduct without whistleblowers, people who are willing 
to provide information about government misconduct. And that by definition, that's what a whistleblower is. Whistleblowers disclose waste, fraud, abuse, criminal, illegal activity. They are different from spies or people who sell secrets. They are disclosing information in the public interest. So if you as you know, a, an, you know, an active member of our democracy, a citizen support a free press and investigative and, you know, journalism, then I think you should also support whistleblowers. And then the other thing is what you really see in this film is that whistleblowers nowadays are treated very, very harshly. So there are tools, you know, there are laws like mishandling you know, government information or mishandling classified information or misuse of a government computer that, you know, where you can still punish a whistleblower without, you know, prosing, prosecuting them under the Espionage Act, which is so harsh and which is also being used very arbitrarily. You know, some people who disclose classified information get, you know, sort of a you know, a little slap on the wrist, like General Petraeus. And then someone like Reality Winner, who disclosed one single document about foreign election interference, you know, which many people believe the public should know about, in particular election officials to make our elections more secure. So she is charged under, she was charged under the Espionage Act. You know, I'm presenting the information in this film, and I really think that people who watch it should then, you know, discuss and decide, is this how, you know, whistleblowers should be treated and how our democracy should look like? Reality Winner has been released. What would you like people to know about her? What would you like to see for Reality Winner now? Reality Winner has been released from prison, but she's still not free. She's in home confinement right now until the end of November. And then after that, she will be on supervised release for another three years. Um, So she has conditions. She will not be entirely free until she receives, you know, clemency or full pardon. She actually has an active campaign going on right now. You know, her, her, her family, her attorney, her supporters, um, she, they are collecting um, signatures for her. There are many people who have been advocating for a pardon for her, including the former secrecy czar, um, J. Um, William Leonard, who also speaks at the end of my, my film, who says that he is advocating for full pardon for her because she played such a big role in making the 2020 election more secure. Yeah, and I, I really hope that she will have you know time and peace to heal and recover because I know that she has had a very, very difficult time in jail and then later on in prison. Um, she was treated extremely harshly and was living under very, very bad conditions for a very long time, which you you will see when you see the film and you know the challenges that she has been through. So I really wish her a lot of recovery and, and healing. I want to ask you about National Bird because I loved that one as well. It is a, a story of three very courageous whistleblowers uh, surrounding the U.S. drone program, all uh, involved in I- Iraq 
and Afghanistan. It was Emmy nominated in 2018 for Outstanding Current Affairs Documentary. This was one that was emotionally just gut-wrenching. Tell me a little bit about National Bird, and this was obviously kind of your dive into the whistleblower space, if you will. What made you want to take on, of all things, the drone program? You know, not the not the easiest thing for you to take on as a, as a filmmaker. Stephen, you've really studied my work. <laughs> yeah. Of course, come on, you you do your research, I do mine. I can tell. Like, oh, it makes me so happy, and. Um, you know, also because National Bird is is so timely still, and and honestly, it will not go away. You know, drone warfare is a technology that, unfortunately, I believe will continue to spread and will be used unless we, as you know, sort of a global community, have an established you know, rules and regulation to, you know, guard against this type of international global warfare. And yeah, so it's, it's been really important for me to, you know, still share this film because, you know, this, this year was not only the 20th anniversary of 9-11, but it's also the 20th anniversary of the first reported drone strike, which actually happened in, in Afghanistan um, on October 7th, 2001. That's according to the Atlantic magazine. You know, drone war has been in, in the media recently, but it's been going on for 20 years. And, and that's why I really needed to make this film, um, National Bird, because I, I wanted to give people insight into the technology, into how you know the drone war um, works, um, the human impact of it, the human impact on the people, the veterans, the, the military pers- personnel um, in the drone program, but also people in Afghanistan. I traveled to Afghanistan for National Bird, and I spoke to the civilian vict- victims and survivors of a drone strike gone wrong. And their testimonies are so important. And I do think that people should go back and listen to them and listen what the people have to say, the people on the ground who are most impacted by the drone war. Yeah, that scene in Afghanistan with the victims was tough. And it was it's sad that we just had another very similar incident as the military was exiting Afghanistan. Yeah. And when you watch National Bird, so National Bird really explains the um, the problems with the drone war, you know, the distribution of decision making, how blurry and bad the images are and, and why. And and it's, you know, and how easy it has become to use this war technology and it's, you know, it, it, it really gives you such deep insight into the human impact. And it's it's really the first time as well um, in the film that you can, you know, the you know, people can really hear from the people most impacted, you know, deeply. So I I, you know, I traveled to Afghanistan, I I really investigated one of the drone strikes gone wrong. 
and I spoke to um, multiple families and and you know victims and survivors and their testimonies. I mean, they're they're heartbreaking, but I think they deserve for us, you know, to listen to them and listen what they have to to say. And it's really important, you know, moving forward for I think all of us to to hear them as well as politicians and decision makers because we we need this information to decide if this is the, the way we want to live and wage wars moving forward. In National Bird, how important was that for you to kind of put that human face on the drone program? It was, it was very important. And, and that's why I, when I first you know, began research on, on this project, I really wanted to speak to the people directly involved, you know, not just to the press person or yeah, the, the, the military leaders, but the, the people who are the actual experts who are involved in the decision making and, you know, see who they are, how their work has been impacting them and tell their stories. And that was also very important when I was, you know, securing the, the project and thinking about how can we safely discuss these issues and, and, and really educate people on how this war works. And you just mentioned um, Hollywood films. And, and what I always find, you know, when I, when I watch shows or movies um, that use this type of, you know, drone technology is that it's, it's very misleading because they, they have these like 4K crisp images and they have all the information and people on the ground and they see everything that's going on. And that's not the reality. And that is so important for people to know. And that's why, you know, National Bird is important. That's why investigations like the New York Times investigation is important when they investigated the recent drone strike and spoke to the people because, you know, movies and Hollywood fiction films, they don't fully represent the reality. And, you know, and it's it's important for us to understand sort of the difference and, and that's why I so strongly believe in the power of documentary films and independent documentaries and, and investigative films and current affairs films, because they, they do, you know, give us education and insight into the reality of our world and what's going on and, you know, in wars and what, you know, how people are impacted. Sonia, thank you so much for doing these types of films. I think they are critical and I think everybody needs to see your films. So can you tell everyone where they can find Enemies of the State and United States versus Reality Winner and National Bird? Okay. So National Bird, that is on, you know, all the major video on, on, um, demand platforms. Um, you can just, you know, Google National Bird or go on our website, you know, Amazon and and all these places. Um, Enemies of the state, similar. Yeah, you can you can rent it, or it's actually also now newly available on Hulu. So you can go there as well. And then United States versus Reality Winner is currently on the festival circuit. And we actually have an in-person screening, our New York premiere in on November 13 and then the 15th. And I'm going to be there for a Q&A after screening. 
And it also has a virtual com festival component. So yeah, I hope you can, you know, see that or even, you know, come out and, and meet me in person. Before you go, I do want to ask, so having done now several films that deal with national security, does the government have their eye on you? I, I, I have to ask. <laughs> well, I, I've, I, I get asked this question quite often. Um, you know, people ask me, are you under surveillance? And my response commonly is that we are all under surveillance. I mean, that's what we really learned through the disclosures of, you know, Thomas Whistleblower, Thomas Drake and Edward Snowden is that all of our data is collected and being stored. And that's what's really important for me as well in the reality winner film. So, you know, of course, the reality winner film is about her personal story and how harshly she was treated. But one element of it, which is so important for me to people, for people to learn is that as part of her pre-trial hearings, her communication with her family, with her sister, with her mother and her parents, all of that was being used in court against her. That information had been stored and then it was available and they used, they cherry picked, you know, little parts of the information, even, even sentences out of a diary and used it against her. That is really a film, United States versus Reality Winner, that is also very personal to me because it does show how data can be used against anyone, even if you don't expect it, even if you don't do the type of work that I do. So yeah, please people, <laughs> listeners, you know, go and, and watch this film and, you know, and, and I hope we can have a discussion afterwards about mass data collection and stores and how it can be used against everyone. Now I'm freaked out and thank you <laughs> for freaking me out. If I ever get arrested for um, anything uh, data related, anything national security related, I know who I'm calling. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, you can totally call me. Yeah. I, I, I have a lot of contacts. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I do hope that it, you know, that my films don't make people, you know, scared and self-censor themselves because that is not what I want to do. I, I, I really think, you know, I, I'm inspired by the courage of the whistleblowers. And I really hope that audiences will be inspired as well because do, do we want to live in a society where we have to self-censor? private conversations with our family and our friends and, and think about what we write down in our diary. Like that is, I, I think that's wrong. You know, I, I do think that most Americans believe in a free society and a democracy. And, you know, like my films are there to encourage people to, you know, safeguard it and save and be courageous and safeguard our democracy and yeah and really you know speak up and speak out and and support people who who tell the truth i love it perfect place to end sonia thank you so much for doing the podcast this has been great thank you so much for yeah sharing and and elevating my my work it really means 
a lot to me um, because yeah, I couldn't be doing it without people like you and, and the audience members. So thank you so much. That's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everyone listening, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you got any questions, email me, no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.